Hi everyone, my name is John and I have the privilege of preaching God's Word to you today. You can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We're starting a four-part sermon series for Missions Month, as Missions Month begins today. And we do this every year to provide focused teaching on what Scripture says uh, is God's mission and how we as His people are to participate in His mission. So this year our theme is the Sending Church. And ascending church is the one that simply sends out workers into the plentiful harvest of souls all around us. So we'll start the series today by looking at the beginning of Book of Acts as we continue to learn about what it means to be a sending church. And as we look into the Book of Acts, we look here at the final conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. Let me read the Word of God for us today. You can follow along in your Bibles. This is Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. This is the word of the Lord. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times, no times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Amen. Before we continue, I just want to ask if any one of us has ever been boomeranged. And no, I'm not talking about the video loop that you make in Instagram. I'm talking about when a time when you suggested or you asked about an idea or a certain task, and suddenly it gets thrown back at you and more work hits you in the face. We see it happen in group projects and work projects all the time, and we learn that it's better not to say anything next time. Well, the greatest boomerang in the Bible is right here in Acts chapter 1. The disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, what are you going to do now? Um, you've resurrected, uh, you've been spending time with us, what are you going to do now about the kingdom? And suddenly, Jesus throws it right back in their face. It was a task they, that they thought only Jesus would do, only Jesus would be qualified to do. And instead, Jesus calls them to this great work that seems to be way over their heads, way beyond their power, way beyond their ability. But we will see that these disciples of Jesus Christ, along with the rest of Jesus' disciples today, are thoroughly equipped to carry out this kingdom work that our king has boomeranged and delegated to us. So the one thing for us today is this. Strive to be kingdom-minded, spirit-empowered witnesses of our Lord Jesus Christ. Strive to be kingdom-minded, spirit-empowered witnesses of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll cover today's text in two lessons for us to grow as a sending church regarding First, the perspective of God's kingdom, we see that in verses 6 and 7, as well as the power of the Holy Spirit in verse 8. Before we continue, let me pray for us one last time uh, as we uh, prepare our hearts to hear the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, we ask that you will speak to us now through the preaching of God's word. Will you correct any wrong perspectives that we may have? Uh, regarding your kingdom. Teach us what it means to be your witnesses, as this is truly part 
of your plan. Lord, help us to be faithful, obedient servants of you, our Savior, our King, our Lord, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the first part, perspective of God's kingdom. And the lesson is this. As a sending church, we must expand our perspective of God and his kingdom. We must expand our perspective of God and his kingdom. Let's first understand what the situation is here surrounding verse 6. After Jesus had resurrected from the dead, over the course of 40 days, he was presenting himself to many of his followers, proving that he was really alive. We know from Luke chapter four, uh, 24 that Jesus also spent time with his disciples in studying scripture. And they were in what I believe is the ultimate Bible study sessions because Jesus opened the disciples' minds so that they can understand scripture. And Jesus was also interpreting all of scriptures for them, showing them how all of scriptures point to Jesus Christ himself. And back in Acts chapter 1, verses 3 and 5, we see that two specific topics that Jesus spoke about were the kingdom of God and the coming of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So it's important to note here then in verse 6 that the disciples wanted to ask this burning question because Jesus was talking about God's kingdom and about the Holy Spirit baptism. We don't have the time right now to look at all the Old Testament references in Scripture where God promised His people of a future time, a full restoration. Because through these prophetic words, God promised that the days of uh, the days or the times are coming when God will restore Israel and transform the ruined and destroyed lands of Israel to be like the Garden of Eden. And on several occasions, these promises of hope were linked directly to God pouring out His Spirit on His people or putting His Spirit into the hearts of His people. So these disciples undoubtedly had these promises on the back of their minds. And the lights were flashing and their hearts were pumping and hope was rising as they heard Jesus talk about God's kingdom and talk about the Holy Spirit baptism. So when they got together, they started asking Jesus, Jesus, is it finally time? Is the promise of God finally going to be fulfilled now? Is the day that God has promised, is that day today? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? While their question doesn't seem to be outright outright wrong, Their question does expose the narrow perspective of God and his kingdom. It's like a child who gets impatient in the car, starts asking uh, his or her parents over and over again. So these disciples were asking Jesus, are we there yet? Is it time? How much longer? When are we going to get there? It was this burning question that they finally got to ask Jesus. And, and like that child who's concerned only with, about, uh, only with reaching the destination and how this child would only be consumed with the timing, uh, so these disciples were getting consumed about the destination, consumed about the timing. 
Their focus is on that one detail. When? And it's that when question that narrowed their perspective. And if it was not corrected, they would miss out on God's kingdom entirely. And so Jesus helps to expand their perspective. Not only that, it's clear to see that the disciples came to Jesus with their assumptions. Yes, they sat under Jesus' teaching. Yes, they heard the word preached and explained by Jesus. But while many may have had understanding and information, they still had one underlying assumption about one other detail that I see. They assumed what it meant for Jesus to be their Lord. So what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? The title Lord is given to one in authority, a ruler or a commander. And so how was Jesus Lord exactly? How much authority, rule, and command did Jesus have? Well, what happened 40 days just before this? Jesus was unjustly condemned to death and was crucified as an innocent man at the hands of Roman soldiers. He was buried and three days later, Jesus rose again from the dead, overcoming sin and defeating death once and for all. And therefore, Scripture says Jesus is Lord over all, over all of life, even over death, over all the physical world, over all the, even over all the supernatural in the heaven, heavenly realm. He is in complete control and authority over all, even sin. Taking the sin that crucified him to the cross and turning it into redemption for the sins of all the world and forgiveness, offering forgiveness for all who repent in his name. This is how much Jesus is Lord. This is how much Jesus is Lord. Because Jesus Christ is God. God the Son, through whom God the Father created all things. Any assumption, other assumption, would make our Lord too small. By asking, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? They were already limiting Jesus Christ as Lord over all. In other words, they thought that the authority, rule, and command of Jesus Christ was now only going to serve the desires of one small and weak nation, Israel. And yes, while uh, in the history of God's plan of redemption, Israel played an important part, but they were not the ultimate part. God never served Israel's desires. God called Israel to serve His. And God graciously placed Israel into his grand plan of, of, of uh, plan to bless the nations of the world. But they were hoping that Jesus would change their current situation. They were not yet a powerful nation ruled by their own king. They were not yet a nation living gloriously in their own land. In their perspective, Israel had yet to see God's promises of restoration be fulfilled as they lived in a Roman society under Roman rule and a Roman king. And their perspective was just way too small. God had actually addressed this centuries earlier through the prophet Isaiah. God was speaking prophetically to Jesus Christ, who is the servant of God. And he said this, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back uh, uh, those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, for the nations, 
that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It is too light. It is too easy. It is too trivial. It's too small to have Jesus Christ only restore Israel. The proper biblical perspective of God and His kingdom is that God desires all the nations. God desires to redeem all the nations and that His plan of salvation to reach the ends of the earth. Any other concern, any other assumption, any other perspective would make God too small. It would make God's kingdom purposes too small. That's why we see Jesus graciously correct his disciples as he responds to their question. He doesn't say, yes, it's time, or no, it's not the time. Rather, Jesus simply says in verse 7, the timing of God is not for you to know. And can you just imagine the look on the disciples' faces? All their excitement and hope was growing as big as a balloon, only to be popped by the pin of reality. They don't have the authority to know such information, so Jesus will not tell them. God the Father has sovereignly fixed and established the chronological order of events in His plan of redemption, not just for Israel, but for the world. And everything in His plan will go according to His perfect timing. So the disciples do not need to be concerned with the when, with the timing. They need to be concerned about addressing their small perspective of God and His kingdom. So before we continue, I am compelled to ask us here today if any of us have ever felt this way in our relationship with God. Or perhaps I should ask, how often do we feel like God is not answering our Lord when questions to our satisfaction? Sometimes our questions might be a bit random, but I know for many of us, faithful members of our church, our questions are derived and based on the promises of God written in Scripture. And as we're studying the Bible, we feel the tension between our minds and, between, and our hearts because the promises and the plans of God seem yet to be fulfilled in our lives. And our prayers, so then, are full of Lord when questions. How long, O Lord, questions? Or more directly for some of us, God, why are you taking so long to answer my prayer? Clearly, it's not wrong to ask God these questions. As we see Jesus not rebuking his disciples for asking, but correcting graciously. But if we're honest with ourselves, we ask not because we're fully mindful of God's kingdom and plan God's kingdom plans all the time. We don't ask in a posture of submission to the lordship of our God, to the timing of our God. Rather, we ask in the form of making demands to God. And it's like we keep asking, "Lord, will you finally restore the kingdom to me? How about now? Is it finally time yet?" When I catch myself just overly concerned about myself and how I fit in God's plan in God's kingdom, that's when I realize I fall into this misconception that God is meant to serve my plans or that God is meant to serve my kingdom. And if this is true of me, 
Why do I even call Jesus Lord? Why would we even call Jesus Lord if we're demanding him to serve our desires? How are we to follow Jesus Christ with this spirit of making demands in our limited perspective of God and his kingdom? To follow Jesus who calls us to renounce all that we have to be his disciple. So all the more as a sending church in response to the gospel, we must always be willing to be challenged and be corrected in our perspective of God and his kingdom. How could we send out people to live in God's kingdom on his mission if we have such a small view of God? We must be willing to humbly accept then the fact that our personal causes are too small to pursue. Our personal plans are too small to fit our great God into. We must repent of our sinful desires that make God so small in our lives. Because living for our success and security, living for our cravings and our comforts are all too small endeavors compared to the grand plan of God that He wants this church to execute. And so together, church, let's confess and let's commit to expand our perspective of God and His kingdom as we continue to to see and understand from Scripture what Scripture teaches us more and more. And with this proper perspective of God and His kingdom, we can move on to the second lesson, which is about the power of the Holy Spirit in verse 8. As a sending church, we must exercise the power we have received through the Holy Spirit. Not only expand our perspective, but we must exercise the power we have received through the Holy Spirit. After the disciples' balloons of hope were deflated, Jesus wasn't just going to leave them hanging there. He tells them, the timing of the kingdom is not for you to know, but let me tell you what you absolutely need to know. And Jesus starts by telling them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the coming of the Holy Spirit does not simply serve as a sign that God's kingdom is restored. No, the coming of the Holy Spirit actually means that power is given to the disciples. Power unlike anything that they had before. And we know from the rest of the New Testament scriptures that Jesus is referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is a gift of Jesus Christ to all those who believe and trust in Him. He gives the Holy Spirit um, and He gives the power, uh, His power through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit actually dwells in every single believer, sustaining us by His power. The Spirit's power is a life-giving power. The Holy Spirit powerfully gives spiritual life to our spiritually dead souls. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead that is at work in us. And so, He powerfully produces joy, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control in our lives. All these things that we cannot produce by our own sin-tainted efforts. This life-giving power of the Holy Spirit is what makes us a new creation in Christ. And so I ask you, 
fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, do you know this power? Do you feel powerful as you go throughout your day living for the Lord? Do you feel full of life doing what you do at home with your family, doing what you do um, at the office with your work? And at best, we can probably say sometimes, myself included, but more often than not, we don't feel powerful. We don't feel the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think we can think of it this way. You know, during the pandemic, I know few people have taken the opportunity to stay fit and exercise regularly. But for many others, like myself, it's been hard to exercise, especially when I see my kids just lounging around on the sofa with their snacks, watching a movie and over there and, and my wife over here uh, eating her nasi padang right next to me. And, and, and so what's, what's happening to our muscles and our tendons and our ligaments from this lack of exercise, they're not getting used. And so what's, what's happening is they're getting stiffer and layers of fat are building, ar- building up around our bodies, which makes it even more difficult to get up and move around and be active. And because of the decreasing mobility of our bodies, even though we have muscles, we are not using our bodies properly. We're not using the physical power that we have to get moving. That's why we also feel weak and stiff in our spiritual lives. It's not because the Holy Spirit is absent. It's not because the Holy Spirit is lacking in His power. No, it's because we are not exercising the power of the Holy Spirit. Even though the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, is empowering us, is guiding us and encouraging us, we still feel as if we are powerless in God's kingdom. And so we must then exercise the power we have received through the Holy Spirit by faith. And all the more then we must understand the purpose of this power to exercise it properly. Jesus says in verse 8, you will be my witnesses. Here's the purpose. To be clear, the purpose of this power is not given so that we just pass the upcoming exam or or pass the class at the end of the semester. This power of the Holy Spirit is not given so that we can be successful in this life as in gathering as much material wealth as possible. The purpose of this power is not given so that we are protected from people's criticisms or so that we can build our own comfortable kingdoms. No. He gave the power of the Holy Spirit primarily so that we would be witnesses of Christ in our world. Now what Jesus says here is interesting because we should wonder why the disciples needed Holy Spirit power to be witnesses. A witness is someone who saw and experienced an event, or in this case, a person like Jesus Christ. So couldn't the disciples already be Jesus' witnesses before the coming of the Holy Spirit? They witnessed Jesus' life and his teachings. They witnessed his death and his resurrection. They saw Jesus with their eyes. They touched Jesus' scars with their hands. They heard him speak after he resurrected with their ears. They tasted the fish that Jesus Christ prepared for them. They smelled the charcoal fire that Jesus set 
uh, up for them for breakfast one morning, they felt the joy in their hearts as they worshipped him. So the disciples pretty much had overwhelming evidence to be witnesses. But they still needed power. Why? Why do they still need power? Because as witnesses, they will need to testify all that they had experienced with Christ. They will need to speak their testimony of Jesus Christ in his resurrection, even in the face of hostility and persecution. Because testifying is what witnesses do. If a witness does not testify, whether it's in court or before other people, that witness would just be a passive observer. They had observed that event or that person. But they are not a witness because they are not testifying. But once the words of their testimony come out of their mouths, they are being witnesses. And the disciples are completely dependent on the Holy Spirit to testify about Jesus Christ. Because their testimony must be spoken even in the face of adversity, hostility, even in their fears. And so, the Holy Spirit's power is not only a life-giving power, it is also an emboldening power. It emboldens uh, disciples as witnesses to speak their testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, who here feels uncomfortable or nervous about sharing our faith or our testimony, even in a completely safe or a neutral situation? I do. It's like what I call the the Jesus jitters. But for some reason, I am so bold and so sure when I say it in my heart that Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. I live for you. Everything I do, I do for you and for your glory and for your name. But just at that moment when I'm about to say it out loud, I get jittery. It's my fear of being rejected. It's my fear of looking and sounding strange in in other people's uh, eyes and ears. And I get these butterflies in my stomach every time. And they just won't go away. Sometimes I'm able to pursue and continue to share about Jesus Christ and boldly share my testimony. Other times I just chicken out. And I just move on to another topic in the conversation. If you're like me, I hope that we can find inspiration and motivation in God's word today. Because the Holy Spirit has given us power to be Christ's witnesses. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. And He emboldens us to speak the words of life to those in the darkness, to those who are still spiritually dead. Let's remember Peter, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. What was he like before and after the coming of the Holy Spirit? Before the day, before the day Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to come upon his disciples, Peter had denied Jesus before a little servant girl who was questioning him out in the public square. But after he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, what happened? 
quoting one missionary who notes, Peter defied the entire Jewish nation and the entire Roman Empire with his allegiance to and his proclamation of the gospel. The Spirit empowered Peter, who was so fearful of what he would sound like or what he would look like, so fearful of of others' perception of him if he said he followed Jesus. He feared losing his reputation, his life, to be linked to Jesus Christ. But after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he spoke boldly, one of the greatest sermons to have been preached in the book of Acts, in which he responded thousands of people to come and believe in Jesus Christ. The Spirit empowers us to speak boldly about Christ. And so church, we must speak. We must speak our testimony and share what we have witnessed in our lives. The life giving power of God as he as he has raised us from our from our from our, from being spiritually dead as he has forgiven us of our sin as Jesus Christ has paid the ultimate sacrifice by dying on the cross for our sins by taking on the punishment and the and the penalty of the wrath of God upon himself so that we would be considered righteous so that we would be considered his people and so that now we would be his witnesses to proclaim the gospel to everyone else. The Spirit empowers us boldly to speak boldly about Christ, so we must speak. Jesus gives his disciples at the end of verse 8 a final detail of his kingdom plan. He says, you will be my witnesses. Where? in Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And this is going to be important for us to understand because this detail directs us in how we as a sending church should approach God's mission today. These three geographical locations can be understood in three ways. Uh, They're not three different ways, but but in God's wisdom, I believe he has given us Three connected and related ways to understand where we should go and be witnesses of Christ today. Uh, The first way is the most obvious, which is by physical distance. So Jerusalem was the city that they're in. Judea and Samaria were the surrounding regions further out from Jerusalem. And the end of the earth obviously is means it's a place really far, far away. So this generally is the outline of the book of Acts. As the disciples go out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, literally, and also, but also to the surrounding regions, to Asia Minor, and eventually to the ends of the earth in Rome. The second way to understand these locations is by, not, not just by physical distance, but by ethnic distance. Meaning, how culturally different are the people the further away you travel from Jerusalem. Samaria, specifically, was the land of the Samaritans. Uh, As you might know, they were Jews, Jewish people, who who were mixed with Gentiles. So they were half Jew, half Gentile. And the Jews, 
the true Jews, in that sense, uh, were racially prejudiced against the Samaritans. They, uh, the Samaritans were, again, a people group from intermarriage with foreign nations. But more notably, the Samaritans had adopted many other gods and the religious practices of these foreign nations. So they mixed uh, their own worship of the true God, Israel, with all of these other religious practices. So the further you go away from Jerusalem, there will be more ethnic diversity, which also means more cultural and religious diversity for Christ's witnesses who go out there. The last way to understand these locations is by gospel access distance, as in how far are people from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ? At this point in history with the disciples, uh, the, the disciples' conversation with Jesus, the, the access to the gospel was concentrated um, and in, in the upcoming events would be concentrated in Jerusalem with these first disciples, with the coming of the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. No one far out there in Asia or Rome had any access to hear the forgiveness, the gospel of the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. And the further out they went, there were more and more barriers that the disciples had to overcome in order to speak the gospel as Christ's witnesses. There were different dialects, different values, different perspectives, different beliefs that they had to overcome. For a more visual interpretation, we understand these areas to which we are called to as a water drop, a water drop ripple, which also happens to be the logo of HMCC. So wherever we plant a church, it's like a new water drop in the ocean of lost souls yet to be saved. The drop becomes a new Jerusalem, and each new church is responsible to be witnesses in their city starting with those who might have similar culture and values and language, but who have still yet to hear about Jesus Christ. But as they're reaching those who are similar uh, to them, ethnically, culturally, um, even uh, by language, as they're doing that, they will also meet people who are different from them, ethnically and culturally. And still, witnesses continue to speak boldly, and more and more people will be saved. And more and more churches will be started. And more and more water drops into this ocean of souls. Until it looks like it's raining. And this is what we want to see in our cities, in Jakarta and in Tangerang, where the concentration of gospel speakers gets so high to the point where we can say, Everyone in our city has heard the word of the Lord. Everyone in our city has had an opportunity to hear the truth of Jesus Christ, to make a decision whether to believe or not is up to them, but they have had a chance, an opportunity to hear the word of the Lord, preached by these gospel speakers. But even when that happens, there will still be places completely dry of the gospel, with people in gospel, famine, entire people groups, entire ethnic groups who are perishing while waiting for their salvation. 
People are dying during this pandemic. People are passing away without knowing Jesus Christ. There are thousands of souls on the line each and every day. Only if they were to call upon the name of Jesus Christ, they will be saved. But as we well know, how can they be saved if they don't believe in Jesus? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard of Him? And how can they hear of Him without someone preaching to them? And how will these preachers go to preach unless they are sent? This is why we desire to be ascending church. This is why we're compelled by Jesus' compassion and His love for the harvest, for the lost, to be a church that faithfully sends out one another into our respective mission fields, to be a church where every single member passionately cries out to the Lord, Lord, send me. I will go. I will go speak as your witness. We desire to be a church where every member is convinced that Jesus calls him or her to be Christ's witnesses. A church where we boldly speak by the power of the gospel, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we boldly speak the gospel to those who will lack gospel access otherwise. A church that continues to ripple out in Jerusalem, all of Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. It was for this very purpose why a group of foreigners came to Indonesia to plant a church in Tangerang back in 2009 and why that this Tangerang church sent out its members a good num- a good chunk of their membership to go and plant a church in Jakarta in 2015. And it's for this very purpose why these churches our churches together are sending out a team of believers to reach the Bantin Unreached People Group later this year, 2021. It's because we are called to be Christ's witnesses. And specifically to the Bantin people, they're not physically far. By distance, geographic distance, it's just 45 minutes out. But they are still a people who are far, far away from believing in Jesus Christ because they have yet to know they have yet to hear about Jesus they have yet to be a, a concentration of gospel speakers to preach them the good news of Jesus Christ and for this team they will face linguistic cultural ethnic religious barriers that they must cross to reach the Bantan people with the gospel And as we send them, we're not only sending them, we're remembering that together we are sending out one another to be bold witnesses of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. As we have been equipped with God's word and with Jesus' instructions clearly laid out for us now. And so the question remains, will you, brother and sister in Christ, will you, fellow witness of Jesus, together with our church, will you participate in this grand plan of God? Will you strive to no longer be stiff 
and weak in your faith and choose to exercise the power that you already have been given in Jesus Christ? Will you participate? Will you, as we, as we have an ever-expanding perspective of God's kingdom, as we have this life-giving and, and emboldening power of the Holy Spirit in us, will you participate in God's mission with us? I pray that you will take that question honestly and sincerely to the Lord in prayer. And as you think about this, I will just offer a few uh, next steps for you to take in order to apply this word into our lives. First step, expand kingdom perspective through prayer and the word. Let's continue to learn to pray what it means to what it means to pray may your kingdom come your will be done prayer is that continue uh, prayer is continuing the conversation that god has started in his word so bring these questions to the lord ask the lord lord what does it mean for your kingdom to reign uh, your rule and reign in my life for your kingdom to be established here on this earth And let's remember that instead of, of the when, Jesus clearly told the disciples the what, the how, the where, and even the for what. All these important details. So let's confess our ignorance for God's commands for the things of now that are already clearly revealed and how we are often consumed with the things that are yet to be. Let's, let's come to God in prayer in that way. Let's also expand our kingdom perspective by being in the Word. Even if it means committing to reading through the book of Acts as part of your Bible reading plan, which is something that I've, I've made it a personal goal to do. But I, I, I'm praying and I'm, wanting to, I'm desiring to learn, God, expand my kingdom perspective. My plans are too small. My causes, my pursuits are too small apart from your kingdom. So let's continue to expand our kingdom perspective through the prayer and the word. Second, exercise the Holy Spirit's power through evangelism. Here is just a clear definition of evangelism in light of everything that we have been talking about. Evangelism is a proclamation of the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit with the aim of persuading people to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. So as we do the work of speaking, we depend on God and we know God will do the work of saving. So let's exercise the Holy Spirit's power to speak. Consider where your Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria and the end of the earth is. Together with your life group, together with others in our church. Evaluate prayerfully, whether it's by physical distance, ethnical distance or gospel access, uh, ethnic distance or gospel access distance. And ask the Lord, Lord, who are you sending me to, to speak boldly about Jesus Christ? And as you start getting the Jesus jitters, like I mentioned before, we can continue in prayer, like the believers in, in Acts chapter 4. Even in the face of hostility and persecution, we can pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us again so we can continue to speak God's word with all boldness. 
so that we can continue to testify to the life and death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ with great power. This is what it means to be Christ's witnesses as we evangelize with spirit-empowered boldness, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And lastly, encourage one another in God's mission through discipleship. In other words, do the above with together with other members of our church. Uh, if, 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 if you want to go through a book, a study, you can uh, read, through the, uh, read the book called Missions, How the Local Church goes global by Andy Johnson. It's available to our church members in our library. You can read through that. You can pray together. You can study God's word together. You can do evangelism together. Practice evangelizing on one another. Whatever it takes for us to be faithful, exercising the power of the Holy Spirit with with an ever-expanding perspective of God's kingdom, speaking the gospel to people all around us who have yet to be saved. So here's the one thing again as we close. Strive to be kingdom-minded, spirit-empowered witnesses of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's now go back to our Zoom gathering as we close out together in prayer and worship. God bless you.